coaches. Today, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, CoachPad. Uh, no matter if you draw scout cards by hand or use a program on your computer, CoachPad will give you back time by never stuffing a binder again before heading out to practice. First 13.3-inch electronic device allowing coaches to clearly display scout cards outdoors in the sun has been a game changer for programs this past fall and those currently playing all across the country. This new technology allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the CoachPad and CoachPad Mini on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates, and here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Uh, today we have Coach Adam Clark, the defensive coordinator at Angelo uh, State University. Coach, how are you doing? Doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you, Coach. Um, I, I, me and Coach have been kind of going back and forth, I don't know, for a couple of weeks now trying to get him on. So it, it's exciting to get him on. Um, Coach has done a couple other things. I, I know he's got an instant clinic out there and a couple other small things. Um, but kind of for coaches who may not be familiar with you, may not be familiar, especially those of us that are not in the Southwest, can you kind of give a little brief background about how you ended up being the DC at Angelo? Uh, sure. Um... Well, got into, you know, played college ball in the Midwest I'm from San Diego, California, and, you know, didn't, didn't start playing football until about sixth grade, I think, something like that, seventh, seventh grade. Um, played at junior college in, in Southern California, tried to walk on at a, at a Division One. figured out I wasn't going to play there at San Diego State, and went to uh, St. Ambrose University in Iowa. Um, it was a really good program, was blessed to, to get that opportunity, and uh uh, just happened to fall at the right time. We had a really good uh, head coach and defensive coordinator there. Uh, Rich Wright was the defensive coordinator. Todd Sturdy was the uh, uh, was the, the head coach, and we were really good there. Won a lot of games. Um, had a, I got to finish out my playing career there, and then went right into being a graduate assistant there. Uh, again, worked with Rich Wright uh, for two more years. He's currently the head coach at Northwest Missouri, which is one of the top Division two uh, programs in the country year in year out. And uh, Sturdy, uh, Todd Sturdy is actually now their, their offensive coordinator there. Um, but got to be around those guys, so got a great introduction into uh, uh, just the, the, what it means to be a college coach and all that type of stuff in those two years. Uh, from there, I went to Graceland University, which is another NAIA, also in Iowa. Again, was really blessed the way it fell there. I had a bunch of good coaches there uh, that I got to, to work with, and we were very good there. And uh, you know, one conference, won a conference championship and they hadn't had a winning record in 20 years or whatever. Um, this was really blessed to work with some other really, really talented coaches and get some really good players there. And, um, from there, I went back to St. Ambrose, the defensive coordinator, um, I'm lucky enough to get that opportunity. And, uh, and, uh, again, we were success successful there. We, we went eight and three, I think, yeah, eight and three, won the conference championship. Uh, we're one of the top defense in the country. From there, went to Colorado School of Mines, uh, Division II school in Colorado, which is a straight engineering school, which is a very interesting place to coach, but they were really, really good. Again, very blessed to be with some talented coaches, the head coach there, uh, Bob Stitt, 
uh, that did a, did a phenomenal job there. It brought them from a program that did not win many games to a, a playoff caliber uh, uh, team. And the defensive coordinator there that I worked with, Bob Benson, is currently the defensive coordinator at uh, Pennsylvania University. Um, was a really, really sharp guy. Um, was a really, really sharp guy who uh, who had been running that his his three four for a long time. Uh, was the head coach at Georgetown in Washington for uh, quite a while. Uh, just uh, again, very, very experienced and. Uh, just that whole staff was really great to work with for, for a couple of years. Um, from there, I went to, uh, to Western New Mexico University as a defensive coordinator. And the head coach there actually resigned uh, after I was there a month. But luckily enough, he, uh, he recommended me for the job and I was able to get that opportunity uh, as a very young, young head coach. I think I was 30, 30 or 31. Uh, and uh, I was there for eight years and I was a division two university as well. And uh, that place was really good for me. I learned a lot there. It was a challenge because resource wise, we, we didn't have uh, phenomenal resources there. Uh, we were always competitive, never great, but, uh, but was a, was a great experience, great learning experience. I got to work with a, a lot of, a lot of good coaches there. They, they shuffled through fairly quickly because we didn't pay, you know, overly well or anything like that. Um, our first six years there, we were in the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference, and then we got moved to the Lone Star Conference here in Texas, um, which even more so, we lacked the resources. Uh, the, the Division II Conference here in general is well well funded. Uh, they, they have good scholarship money and uh, um, pay the coaches well, and most of them have pretty good facilities and all that stuff, which at Western New Mexico at that time, we didn't have uh, anything uh, kind of equaling that, but we still were competitive, still beat a number of those schools kind of earned uh, respect of, of that conference as we went in there and, and, and uh, again, played competitive football against, uh, against those teams that had better resources. Uh, at that point, I uh, chose to resign, um, which was interesting. I chose to resign after my eighth year just because I took it at an early, uh, early point in my career, and my wife and myself didn't feel that was the spot that we were going to stay for a really, really long time. I didn't have anything lined up or anything like that, um, but I knew before the, even the season started, my last year, that I'd already told my wife that we're this is going to be our last year. I was going to resign after the last game and go try and figure something out, go try and find a better opportunity that uh, um, allowed us to uh, put people in a better position to be successful. Because it's hard to be at a program where you feel that uh, both the players and the, the coaches and everyone involved in the program isn't really being put in a position to, to be successful. And uh, uh, that was kind of the reason to to uh, to resign from that place. Uh, luckily, I, I found uh, an opportunity uh, pretty not not too long after. I went to Tarleton State, which was in the Lone Star, um, and their head coach had been taking over their program a couple of years prior, and it got them going in the right direction. And again, worked with a bunch of really good coaches there, and we were very very good uh, there. I was a D line coach, special teams coordinator, and. Uh, we finished ranked, I think, fifth in the country, went 12 and one. And uh, again, it was interesting to see how they did did things there. And uh, we had a bunch of really good players and again, really good coaches. And uh, it was, was really fun to to uh, to be highly successful again and, and win a bunch of ball games. And uh, that led me back down here to Angelo State, who was also in the Lone Star uh, Conference. And uh, our head coach, Coach uh, Jeff Gersh, he uh, 
we'd actually known each other for 20 years. He was, uh, was the defensive backs coach back at St. Ambrose when I, uh, he coached receivers for a while, then defensive backs when I played there, when I worked there. So we worked together there and he was good friends as well with the, with Rich Wright and Todd Surdy, who I referenced earlier. And he had become the head coach here. So he called me and asked if I wanted to come down here and run the defense. And, uh, you know, I was familiar with the place and, and uh, what they had resource wise in the town and all those things. And uh, uh, we felt like that was the right opportunity. So we, we uh, were, were given that chance to come down here and it's been, it's been fantastic. We've had, uh, again, I still don't know what to call 2020, but uh, we, <laughs> we, had, we had two good full seasons and there's some, uh, again, some real big positives in that uh, short, 2024 game stint that we played as well that was really beneficial to us um but yeah that's kind of the path that uh that I've gone through in my in my coaching career obviously a lot more detail all along the way all the different stops and all that stuff but uh that's the that's the path that, that led me here to Angelo State now how has your defense kind of evolved over the years I mean we we, we talked off screen for a little bit I mean you're technically an odd front but there's times where you'll look like a full even front, depending on who you're playing and some of the calls. Um, some people might classify as 3-3, three, 3-4. Three, three, How has your defense modified over the years, both front-wise and coverage-wise, as you've kind of evolved as a coach? Yeah, it all just, you know, it all just grows. You go and you talk to people and you, you think of what can give people problems. Um, I, I probably got uh, grew an affinity for the the, the three four um, when I was in junior college. Um, I was like I said, I've, I've been really blessed throughout my career to have really good coaches. Even back to high school, I had some really good high school ball coaches. Um, uh, I got to be a, a TA. My my one of my high school coaches, our D coordinator, um, ran the uh, like the new the school news bulletin that that you know put out that did the the bulletin on TV around the school every day. Um, and this is back in, you know, like 94, 95. So this was high tech stuff and get all these, uh, uh, VHS tape stacks and stuff, but I was a TA. So I got to break down film it was my job as a TA more than anything. I got in some grades and stuff there, but I got to break down film and, um, he, uh, he, again, he was really good. And so was my linebacker coach that, that again, led me into having a good understanding of the game of football. So when I was in junior college, um, we ran three, four that was based, uh, our DC there, uh, his name was, uh, Tom Bass. And, uh, actually he was Dave Bass. His dad was Tom Bass. who was a long time NFL DC, uh, guys uh, real familiar, like with Wade Phillips, kind of from that school, uh, an old school guy. And we ran a very aggressive blitzing style of three, four that I thought was really good. And I liked just the way we attacked and did some things. I thought it was difficult on the O line. Um, and we, we didn't have a necessarily a really, our nose was big, but our ends weren't really big. They're really converted linebacker type of guys who were really good athletes is what we had. 6'2", 230 type of guys, at the, which at the JC level isn't huge for DNs uh, and a three-man front. Uh, so I, I, that was my first exposure to the 3-4. And my linebacker coach the, uh, uh, the, the second year that I was there, his name is Tim Tibizar. He was most recently the, the DC at uh, Oregon State, and he's been around in a bunch of different places. Um, Later, I was able to, to gain more knowledge of the 3-4 from him. He, he's uh, originally from North Dakota, and they, they have a kind of a long, uh, a long-standing way to play the 3-4 that's influenced a lot of people in the Midwest and up around there. It's obviously adapted and, and, and uh, adjusted, but they kind of ran it, I think, for like 20 years or something. They were running this 3-4, this system. Um, 
I came into contact with that. Uh, when I was at St. Ambrose playing there, we were primarily a four-man front. But then when I was a GA, there's one year we weren't as good up front. So our DC wanted to go to some three, four stuff. And he knew I had some experience with it. And I was able to have some ideas in that. Uh, my first full-time job at Graceland, we were a three, three stack slash three, four at times. Um, so that gave me more experience with the three-man front. And then, like I said, as I moved towards being a DC, um, that's when I went up to North Dakota and met with, uh, with Tim, with uh, Tim Tibazar and saw what they, what they were doing. And my first version of my defense when I got to run it was, tied very closely to that North Dakota 3-4 and uh, what I learned from that. Some of my own ideas uh, uh, intermingled in there of things I've learned, but um, uh, more more significantly influenced by that that scheme. Um, then I left there and went to Colorado School of Mines where, uh, again, Bob Benson is really, really good. He, he was a 3-4 guy, but he also had sub packages, primarily third down packages or two-minute type packages, but he'd run a nickel and he'd run a dime and uh, so we get into some four man looks and, and he'd, he'd do some of the move stuff and we'd play some, some over and under. And I saw what he did and the way he made life difficult, um, on offensive lines and quarterbacks. And, uh, he always used the term that I really liked, uh, you know, wreck the decision maker. Um, and, and then the idea again, that we're not calling a game against the offensive coordinator as defensive coordinators, we're not calling the game against them. We're calling against the you know, 21-year-old guy that's playing quarterback or whatnot is who we're calling the game against. Um, so, again, I got that experience, picked up things from him. And then as I went down to, to Western New Mexico, we, we uh, whatever my next version of my defense was, we, we ran it there for a few years and I gave up the defense and I, I helped on both sides. I called all the specials and helped call a game plan on offense and defense. And we went to a four-man because I had a young D.C., um, who I thought it would be easier being in a four-man front to, to just being a little more simple because uh, our system, again, did have a lot of moving parts to it. But well, some of the stuff, while I was still kind of his main answer guy when he had questions on, on how to go about things. So I, I learned more about what we were doing within that version of a 4 2 um, Again, all along this time, going and talking to other people, Rich Wright, again, their defense is always really, really good. And, and he's a four-man front guy, but I would and learn stuff from talking to him about what they were doing and talking to other people. And uh, this time I started going and, and uh, also talking to Rocky Long uh, on a consistent basis. Um, and again, obviously a three, three, three uh, stack. Uh, I guess say it's three, three stacks. It's not, it's not right. It's three, three personnel. Cause they're yeah. out of a three. Obviously you're doing all kinds of different stuff. They're, they're, they're really rarely ever in any type of stack alignment, but uh, again, he's a phenomenal defensive mind. And I got to, spent a lot of time with him over the years talking football. He was, he was very gracious, giving me time because I'm from San Diego and I'd go there and recruit when I was at Western New Mexico. So whenever I was around there, I'd try and pop in and talk football with him. Um, and when I resigned from Western New Mexico, I was able to spend, they, they do spring ball real early there. So I was able to spend basically all of spring ball with them at practice. I mean, I, there was one week I spent about 40 hours watching film in their film room and stuff, just really trying to learn their rules of their defense and everything, uh, which has been, you know, highly successful everywhere he's ever gone yeah. um so that influenced me as i went to western new mexico as well uh and then uh then went to tarleton and we were a four-man front to tarleton and uh learned learned some more there uh just it's four-man stuff but the dc there marcus Patton's a really sharp guy as well learned things from him uh in terms of how he does stuff and he he's he's uh done some three-man front in his background as well and uh, again, really great with coverage and just, again, a really sharp guy. So I picked up stuff from there. 
at that time, I had a really good opportunity where I was able to, when Dave Aranda was still at LSU, I was able to go down there for three days and spend three days when they were at LSU and just uh, there in spring ball. And he gave me a lot of time to understand what they do and how they do things and his version of the three, four and uh, the differences between when he had LSU athletes and when he had Wisconsin athletes <laughs> and how that can change what you do as a, as a, as a coordinator. And uh, so just some of his approach and, we have an Angelo clinic here. That's a really good clinic in the Southwest, like year in, year out. They get really good, you know, big name speakers. Uh, Elko from AM, who, what job did he just get? Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he was uh, down here talking. Pete Golding from Alabama is one of the speakers here. And uh, uh, I think it's, it's Jason Brown, DC at uh, Jake Brown, uh, DC, it's at uh, oh. uh, North Carolina. Yeah. Was it Army? Uh, yeah, Bateman. Yep. Yeah, Bateman. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bateman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's, again, fantastic and really, really sharp. And like all those guys, and they've been around here, I'm blessed when they, when they do that, uh, when they come to this clinic, because my office is right across the hall from our meeting rooms and stuff. And I can grab them usually a little bit after and uh, again, get some great insight from them on some of the things they do or specific questions I have uh, within our scheme and uh, where I see similarities that, that may be able to cross over, um, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, it's just an ever-evolving deal. And even from this this last year, I mean, we went from 2019, 20, and 21, and the three years here, it's evolved substantially. And this year especially that we really did go to – to, our personnel was uh, – still kind of three three ish before but we asked that overhang nickel sam to to do some true three four linebacker stuff like walk up on an attached tight end but that guy was really more of a safety body um so that wasn't like a, a, a real advantageous matchup for us so that's one of the reasons we shifted to more of some structure stuff where i, I kept him out of that i would rather of the three linebacker bodies i had really roll one of those guys down then adjust the secondary around away from their adjustment to the tight end to make sure we have a big body and a physical body on the tight end and then keep that nickel sam guy more out in space and just uh, use utilize safety bodies there um so that was another uh, evolution and like i said we with the, with the move calls and things we did with our front this year we moved more than we ever have from front to front um our primary coverages uh, shifted a little bit this year so yeah, it's 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 a uh, ever evolving target, and it's it's just from what you see and what works and what gives people problems and what they're doing, uh, what the offenses are doing, what you're seeing, and then yeah, going and talking to other other uh, other coaches who do good things and uh, just trying to ask the right questions to learn why they do what they do and how they do it, and and uh, see where that can um, you know mesh up with what you're doing. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned move calls there. I, it's, it's a term. I mean, I think we all know what stemming is, but the, the, I, I didn't, I actually saw the, I don't even remember what I was looking at somebody's playbook that leaked online or whatever. And I saw the word move calls. And then I think coach Vass or somebody posted something about move calls and like a specific verbiage. How's that approach for you guys move calls? Is it kind of like this move call, mains go from this to this how do you approach that and how's that evolved in your system the terminology both move calls and what is it for you guys um yeah first i'll go kind of what it is um i mean basically we uh uh 
if we don't give a uh if we don't give any type of front with it we don't like we don't call a front when we're in our base alignment of uh, uh two type fives and a zero so that's our base so we don't give a front call if we just if we just called move to a call that would mean we're aligned in our base and then we're moving to whatever uh alignment we need to to execute the assignment so if we have a d lineman that's long sticking from a type five but we called a move call he would move on the move call to basically you know a two a two or a three on the on the on the guard and then perform the long stick from there so it's pre-snap movement lateral movement to to align yourself to execute um, we don't do a ton of just that of just a move call there um, more often than not it uh, there may be a move call with a, a specific call where they know in that one um, we're running a certain blitz we say whenever we call move with this blitz we're going to show this look so we may want to show uh, the predominant four-man look we go is double twos and then uh, a type five if it's a two-man surface or a um, what we just call a six if it's a if it's a three-man surface uh, with the end uh, so we're showing that four-man front look with one of the linebackers walked up so they may know in, in that specific call whenever we call move this call that we're going to show that four-man front and then we'll make the move call we're going to move back again to an alignment uh uh an execution alignment to, to be in a position to execute the call, whatever our assignment within the call is. Um, sometimes we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give a specific front we want. So if we want to get to that four eye look from a base look we may, and then bring one of the outside backers, we may call move heads whip. Um, we may call that. So if we, uh, if we, that's one way we do it as well is, uh, is by putting a, a front in there. Um, and that's just evolved. We did it some, we've done it you know, over the years, we've always done it, um, but we just used it even more this year. It was just, it was just more prevalent. And I, I probably included more blitzes in with it, more pressures uh, in with it um, than I previously did. It might've been one guy coming, but we brought more, more two man, three man. I mean, our, one of our heavy pressures, we'd show a four man front and then move into a, a three-man front where we're bringing all four linebackers or the three linebackers and the nickel Sam as well. Um, but the front, it looks like a four-man front that we could just stay in that look and play our base, you know, match quarters out of it too. So yeah, it's just been an evolution of, again, trying to mess with the O-lines. I mean, our system in general is, is built to try and make life miserable for the O-line and the quarterback. That's what we're trying to do. Um, we're not overly worried about receivers because if the o-line the quarterback can't function receivers and the running back don't really matter that much um you know unless there's some receiver that's just so hard to handle we have to make sure we double on that type of stuff uh with some some change up type of calls or, or things like that but um yeah that's kind of the, the evolution of it's just been over time looking at it and, and seeing ways we can make the the, the o-line uncomfortable and and uh just kind of seeing what we could do and we're blessed with a sharp veteran group that, that uh, could handle it. I can say, Hey, what about if I put, if I say move with this blitz, can we know every time we're going to do that out of this front? I don't gotta, I don't gotta put the tag on there to tell you what front I want out of and say, so, yeah, coach. And we're blessed enough to have guys that can do that. Our coaches are, are, are really good. who can get those guys prepared for it. Now, and you don't have to give me the terminology for it, but sure. is there any point where, Instead of saying move, you use it like a specific keyword. Like I know Ron, like a Randa, Ronda, I always pronounce his name wrong. Um, 
like tech that has like special words for some of his move calls, which means move from this to this, and here's the kind of blitz and coverage behind it. Or is there, or is it all I'm going to give? They just need to know if I say move this, that they need to start in this front as much as much as humanly possible. No, it's it's we don't have really special terms for it or anything. It's okay. uh, it's we signal move. They know that they're going to move from one front to another, and the rules are kind of there. Like I said, if we're gonna if we're gonna move from one front other than our base, we'll we'll start there. We'll say you know heads or whatnot um, move to. If we want to move to bear, we can say heads move bear. We can show that in the signals if we wanted that movement. Um, if there's a specific blitz where both those guys are going to end up, uh, both ends say are going to end up, uh, you know, plugging your long, sticking the guards, then we don't have to put the bear on there. Even we can just say move, and they know that by uh, alignment or execution alignment, that on the move call they're going to move themselves to a position to execute. So. Uh, and we and even sometimes we this year we didn't do it as much, but sometimes we just give our D line the the freedom, uh, the we give them the freedom to stem on their own to ability alignment, and try and jump the snap to move laterally again, like on a long stick. If they're a five, and then if they're to get to a long stick, we'd say you can jump the snap because you're moving laterally, and if the ball's not snapped, then just sit in the three and hit the long stick from the three. Um, we do some stuff like that, but we, we kind of went away from that this year more with the full-fledged D-line and move calls, which also was good to draw some offsides and false starts, or some offsides, but draw some false starts from the, the O-line as well because you have a coordinated movement with us, which we got flagged for one time all year after moving, I think probably about 300 snaps. And they said, you can't use a move call. Uh, so we changed We have our backups already, you know, our backup plans already, you know, of uh, what those are, but – uh, there's yeah, just one officiating crew that decided to throw a flag on that. Uh, but again, you'll get some some old lines jump on that because you have yeah. multiple guys moving and all that type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, no no specific calls or uh, language within it. It's, it's we signal and move, and like I said, it's kind of game planned in terms of what we're moving from and to. Like I said, if we ever want to move something specific, we can tag the fronts in there in the call. We have to try to get those calls to uh, not be too long. And if a team's tempo, obviously we're limited there. Um, but we'll still move even if a team's tempo, we'll still do it. It's just not gonna, we're probably not gonna put an extra tag in there. We're gonna have specific calls that um they know when we say move this call, uh, they know they're gonna move from this front to this front to execute the actual call. Okay. Now, now like like I kind of mentioned earlier, your insta clinic. I mean, I think it was a lot on like stunts, and I mean, I, I just loved listening to it the, the amount of detail you got into it because i've i've worked on some staffs where it's not i mean you go over it but it's not the detail that you had do you want to talk about briefly the amount of detail you put into teaching linemen and linebackers kind of your stunts and twists and movements and whose job is what because i thought that was a very interesting thing when i watched the instant clinic it's just the level of detail you gave um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, I'll, I'll reference back to uh, uh, one of the things that uh, Bob Benson used to say, there's a technique for everything, you know, and um, we try and teach our guys, we spend a lot of time on the mental work of, of them, we talk about them coaching themselves on the field. Uh, we use the term caster as their pre-snap thought process, call alignment, stance, key responsibility. We talk about our weight, you know, we talk about stance, you know, like, I don't care that much about a safety stance or a linebacker stance other than where's your weight distribution. If you're going to move a certain direction, 
your weight distribution should already be in a certain spot. So there is no wasted movement. Uh, so we just try and coach all that stuff through drills. And when it comes to stunts and blitzes, uh, the importance of how what we're doing affects the offense is what we try and get them to understand. Um, again, if we have a concept where we're bringing two off the edge and the, the first edge rusher, we want them to sell up field to try and get the offensive tackle, especially if the offensive tackle sliding out at him, that we want to try and draw that guy's block that he feels responsible for me because I'm showing edge pressure and then come under late because then we could possibly free up the guy off the edge. We want them to understand that's why. And then what's the accompanying footwork that goes with um, accomplishing that end goal. And again, we'll, we'll try and talk to our guys in the frames of uh, uh, Simon Sinek, the uh, uh, what, how, and why, you know, saying you got to understand what we're doing first. You can't play. You can't get on the field first. If you don't understand what we're doing. Okay. That's a, that's a, the, the very base, you know, minimum uh, part of it. You know, you can have a guy that understands a what, who's a freak athlete who, might not do it the how right all the time, but he still accomplishes his goal a lot of the time because he's just that good. Um, but most guys, they, they really need to understand the how next. How are they supposed to execute that, uh, that responsibility? And even guys that are really good, obviously, you can get yourself in trouble. Um, they're supposed to be a contained player uh, on a stunt and be, and how they execute it. They get, you know, if you're talking about pass rush stunts, if you're talking about your TE stunt and you're going to try and win through the B gap for contain but that offensive tackle comes back down on you and you, you, you got to cross face them now and get outside uh, because you know, the, say the, the, the looper from the end showed too early. If the, in the how aspect of it, if that uh, defensive tackle doesn't understand, um, doesn't understand that he, he can't get too heavy on the guard, then you're going to have problems. You know, he can easily get pinned inside. So them understanding that how aspect of the footwork and that I'm really speed rushing the guard and I have in my perif that tackle. And you know, if I can win through the B, I'm going through the B. But if that tackle shows to me at all, I don't care what I have to do. I have to spin back outside. I got to get back outside. Um, so we just try and teach them all those type of things and get them to be able to answer that to us. Then on the field that the we ask them, you know, what should your first thought be? You know, if we call this call, what, you know, who's your visual key and who, everything we do, we have, you know, it's all reactionary in terms of we're attacking, but we're going to play blocks. We're going to have block recognition. Um, we're talking up front and blitzing and those things. I mean, everywhere we have block recognition. Uh, it's pattern reading the back end. We don't do about anything. That's just, Oh, we're just, this is our job. It's no, this is our job, but our job is going to, is going to adapt or adjust to what the offense is doing, what our visual keys tell us. Um, so again, when it comes to pass rush or run blitzing, or I mean, run fits, it's, it's almost all we do is predicated on what we see as we start to attack and what our visual key does. And so we can play the play as opposed to just saying, oh, we're run, running our defensive call and just going to you know, play this defensive call. No, it's, it's a lot of different things can happen in this defensive call based on what they do. So uh, we spent a lot of time trying to coach that detail of them understanding that working drill work that's very specific to that, where we gonna put guys set up as O-linemen. I don't think we do a ton of just like work on bags or things like that. Um, maybe early, you know, maybe early in a little bit of spring ball and early in camp, but we're going to get pretty quick to as much uh, recognition of, of offensive uh, plays as we, as we can and work drills that involve us reacting correctly uh, out of our given assignment, 
so so we can uh, so we can again adjust and try. Basically, we try to never be wrong. You know, so this is we're trying to do uh, with, with how we uh, how the scheme's set up and how we teach it and how we practice it. Now, now with that play recognition, how much is that against say trash cans with backfield and receivers? How much is that walking through or jogging? to kind of simulate, especially early on when you're maybe not in full pads and you still can't have that necessarily contact. Um, how, but how, how, how do you approach that? Is it a lot inside run pods? How, how, how does that recognition part go? All of it, um, all of it, everything you said there. Um, obviously board, film work, all that stuff. We talk a lot about visualization, really in-depth visualization that you can get. You know, you can always reference the scientific evidence of uh, – free throw shooters, you know, there's a, there's a scientific study of, you know, one group that just practices a bunch of free throws and then another group that, that practices half that time and the other half, they go back in and sit and see themselves making the free throws again and again, see it in their head. And uh, they actually end up performing better. Those have spent the time visualizing because again, you can make that neuromuscular connection through visualization. So we, we work on that as well. Then on the field uh, it's broken down and again, depending on what we can do, um, Again, I, I'm not, a, I don't care if we have pads. I mean, I was a junior college football player where in spring ball, we didn't have pads on and we went, we weren't trying to hit each other or anything, but, but we still went basically live to contact, being smart, keeping each other safe, but we we're moving pretty close to full speed. So I'll, if I can do that, I'll do that. If it's within NCAA rules at a time period where I can do that, I'll do that with guys. Um, and then obviously in actual practice, there's walkthroughs um we'll utilize that uh well, then we'll we'll do small small stuff where yeah it's a d-line they made us all have a guy across them that's that's their visual key and we're working a specific concept of how to react to our visual key so we're all just doing that same thing with linebackers obviously same thing with everywhere with the simple visual key reactions then when it gets more complex and you're talking about gap schemes and pullers and how we want to react to that so we add extra players and do pod type stuff which it can just be with us within our position groups um and then again, expand it further. Then we get to, like you said, inside run stuff where, yeah, we're going to work on what a team's top runs are with our calls. So again, we're reacting to the, the, the schemes we're going to see from our calls uh, at the same time, doing pattern recognition from our, our when, we're, when we're in our pattern read, pattern matching type concepts. And we're doing that at the same time. Then you flip the linebackers and safeties over. So they're getting reps at both. And then you go into the full group work of, uh, of seeing it all. So it's just everything, you know, every, every tool that we can find, uh, audio, visual, visualization, film, walk through, small group, uh, you know, or uh, one blocker, visual key recognition, pods, inside run, uh, pattern read, pattern match stuff, full group, you know, scout team or good on good stuff. So everything we can do, basically. Okay. And I got, I got about two more questions for you before we go, Coach. Um, sure. my, my first question is, and this is something I think we struggled with, and I think if anybody's listened to the podcast recently this year, I've asked this question just to each guest kind of differently. Um, for, for, and, I, and I didn't even ask if you're on the field or the box, but for your press box guy, whether it's you or somebody else, what do you have them looking for? What is kind of the – what do you tell them? What is the focal point? Because I think that's one area where we struggle with. I, I get – you got colleges kind of more resources of who can go up there and what you're able to see, but what, what is that approach like for you as a defense coordinator and what you're looking to get out of your press box? Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting challenge. It really is in terms of how you approach that. And I've been both. I've been on the field, and right now I'm in the box. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever called because head coach before that. And, um, but it's the first time I'd ever called a game from the box. Uh, I got here, which if I uh, have my way, I will never leave the box again. As a, as a defensive coordinator, I would always stay up there. I just instead of me waiting for someone to tell personnel or look across the field, I can, I can just see it sometimes depending on the tempo of an offense, I can even wait and start to see formations. Um, it, it takes me out of the emotion of the game rather than have my call sheet dangling from, you know, a lanyard on my side and looking at it a couple of times during the game. Um, I'm looking at it when the offense is out there, I'm really sitting and looking at it. It's quiet. It's just, I feel like it, it allows me to, to focus more in there. I still have to be disciplined. What am I looking at? You know, we have our assignments in terms of you know, guys in the box. Uh, you know, usually have your, if you're going to have someone in the secondary up there, and we have them, one in the secondary. And it, obviously, again, like you said, it comes back to resources. But you know, we have one guy in the secondary that's looking on the near sideline that he can see You know, the, the guys on that side and the one up in the box looking on the far. And we kind of do the same thing if we have whoever our run game type of guy is up in the box, that he's looking more on the far side away from our sideline. Other guy looking at it on, on the uh, you know the near sideline, uh, kind of those type of things, and him also watching the the, the that guy paying more attention to uh, offensively their uh, their blocking schemes and stuff like that and protections. The the secondary guy looking at route concepts, trying to recognize those as well. Um, I have to try and guard myself. Am I just looking at point of attack? Am I you know if I think I know what play is coming by formation or again I've called a blitz? I'm looking to see if they execute the, the pressure right. Um, I, I, I really do try and see everything as much as I can. Um, as soon as I recognize the run, if I can see what scheme it was and see if we missed something, where something was, or at least have an idea uh, for when the players come off the field, that, hey, where, ask him where he was on this. You know, have the different coaches ask him on the second play, the run that got seven yards, what happened to him? You know, and try and listen as a matchup from what, three players tell me, you know, I, I, I try not to be, you know, did you do your job where, where the ball hit, but I'll, you know, ask us, there was a slanting player. Did the ball hit inside or outside of me? You know, I said, it hit, hit, hit backside away from my slant. So that's me know, okay, he made the ball cut back. So this guy should have been here. So what happened to him? Ask him what happened to him. So I uh, will just kind of communicate like that. And we all have our different assignments. When I was on the field before, it just depends on your numbers. I've done it where, uh, again, I, if, if I have the numbers where I can have where three men, you know, three defensive linemen. If if I had someone that could watch each of them, great, you know. Or I'd have someone that could watch. Uh, I think I did a pods in a three-four before, where I said the end and the outside linebacker uh, to the field was the D line coach, and then the end and the outside linebacker to the the top was the uh, was the linebacker coach in the box. And I was on the field, and I'd watch the nose and the two inside backers. So I've done it with pods, things like that, to try and just be a sign of what we're watching uh, from our players, obviously specific situations. If uh, we know a guy struggles with something, we made a call, watch if he does this, you know, watch his technique here, watch how he play. Okay. He's playing man to man. That receiver's really good. See, uh, see if he stays square in his press technique on this. We try, you know, I'll try and remind him, um, or, you know, a coach on the field might remind the guy in the box and we just try and communicate that way for specific things for us to look at. Um, and then obviously offensively, just trying to see what they're doing. So it's kind of a balance going back and forth to focus on what are they doing? What are we doing? Um, but I probably still always put more of an emphasis on what are we doing? Because with the idea is if we're doing things correctly, then we should be fine, regardless of what they do. Okay. And then my, my last question for you is, um, 
what is your like weekly preparation for game for developing your game plan look like how everybody kind of approaches it differently on okay this day i'm gonna look at this this day i'm gonna look at that or this day we're gonna work this in practice how do you kind of approach and it can be broader very specific how do you approach that throughout the week once you start getting ready for an opponent yeah it just depends on what they do you know and and, and who they are and um early in my career i was a big you know don't make any adjustments like basically i want to try my full game plan complete by uh going into tuesday's practice type of deal and then i wasn't going to add anything after that i was only going to take things out um i've went away from that i mean i i put in one call uh and I mean, it wasn't a big adjustment, but it was a kind of a different call during the coin flip of a national playoff game this year. Um, so I, I, I kind of adjust throughout the week. Um, again, obviously see what's, what's working um, early on. You know, I'm going to focus the first day is just trying to find out the personality of who they are. You know, while we're breaking down everything, getting all the numbers down, ultimately I'm going to go to numbers. I'm going to do different types of Excel sheets of, what personnel groups they use out of that personnel groups, what other tendencies they run past, what formations they get into all that stuff that we all do and try and understand, I guess, the personality uh, within each of those, you know, what are they really trying to do um, again in down and distance situations if they only, you know, as all they do run an RPO on second and long, you know, okay. So what does that tell me in terms of how I want to call against that? Just trying to figure out again the personality of, of, of who they are that's my early uh early on is and that's all neutral down stuff that's all you know first and second down stuff and trying to figure out how much is second and long and second and medium similar um but trying to get that you know the 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 idea of, of them in regular situations not not red zone not two minutes um, not down by a lot, not up by a lot, just regular old football situations. Who are they? What do they want to do? And um, this, again, trying to figure out the personality of their offense early on. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, I know there's certain calls I'm using to call every game. So trying to figure out what their, their big stuff is. And I know I can work that early in the week. And then in terms of what pressures I like, and we, we, we pressure check and we do different things. Um, try to, to get a feel for what I think would be really good if they, if they come out and show what they've, uh, what they've, you know, and stick with what they've done on film to, to that point, what would be good against it. Uh, once I feel really good about the first and second down capability, that's when I'll move on to third down and red zone prep. And when that happens just depends on what they do and how much stuff there is that worries me. And um, sometimes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is still almost all first and second down. Uh, and then Thursday is the only day we really work any third down or a red zone. Um, sometimes I get to that stuff on, on Wednesday, you know? Um, but for me, it's, it's really getting, getting all that, all the numbers down. And then obviously, you know, the players you can identify pretty early above. Okay. What the scheme is there scheme problems, things that, you know, you really have to be prepared for that are, they're difficult to put you, uh, you know, are going to make you guys think and adjust. But, and then the other big thing is, is there players that are just that the, are going to be a problem for us? And, you know, how do we negate those players? And I mean, it was specifically probably wide receivers and running quarterbacks are the things there because running backs to me can be great, but if we can take apart their O line, if we can negate their O line, uh, their O line play, it doesn't matter how good the running back is. You play against great running backs, but if they're getting hit by two guys, uh, 
you know, within the first couple of yards of the line of scrimmage, it doesn't matter how good they are. Um, so trying to figure that part out of what, what, what players are there that really uh, concern you and what do you do to manage them to try and keep them under wraps if they're a, just a freak, a stud. Um, how do you try and keep them under wraps and controlled? And then, like I said, trying to trying to figure out that personality and what they do well and, and what's who they're going to be in those early downs. Once I have all that stuff figured out, that's the bulk of the game plan. Then, then you get to your, your third down and red zone stuff, which is more condensed in some ways, but third down we're sub packages and stuff, but it's kind of the rules are there and we can, we're only going to run the sub packages if they're in, you know, 10, 11 personnel. And I, again, I, we'll still look through that and say, okay, in these third down situations, they get in these personnel groups and they're in these personnel groups in these third down situations. This is what they do. So I'm going to, you know, tailor my game plan and what we're going to use, which sub packages we're going to use and what calls we're going to use based on what I see, which with, within our, within our whole package, we always want to carry enough, which if they do something different or something we're struggling with, that we have answers built in within our, 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 our package that we can go to if, uh, you know, something we're doing hasn't been successful or something like that, that we have an adjustment. Uh, we have to draw something up. It's just, okay, let's go to this. Let's make this tweak. Let's do this. Um, that's a good answer for that. Uh, and that's like the in-game stuff, but we want to try and have that in the back of our minds as possible adjustments at the end of the week as well. Perfect coach. Well, coaches, uh, one, give him a follow, please, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and if you have questions, I'll put his Twitter down there, reach out to him. Um, like, share, subscribe, all that lovely stuff's normal. Podcast, uh, the affiliates, the, the uh, podcast tags will all be in the bio, all that lovely stuff, sponsors, all that. Um, make sure you look at all that. Um, and then that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.